0: Episode of Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. Janabai Owens is gracing this podcast today. She is a health advocate and a raw food pioneer. Janabai has co-authored cookbooks, successfully co-run one of Los Angeles' most popular food restaurants, Euphoria Loves Revolution, was the director of a detox center in Thailand, and is a mother of two beautiful children. We're so happy to have you here.
1: Thanks, Damal. I'm really happy to be here.
0: <laughs> I've actually, thinking about it, I've known you for years. I mean, since I was 20, I think it was the first time I met you. Yeah. And you had a tiny little space over on Colorado or somewhere like that. Broadway. Broadway, yeah, you had a little store. um, And raw food was kind of something people were kind of flirting with, but it was a small group of people. And I really think you are one of the main reasons it's a common name and a common health um, practice here, especially in Los Angeles and all over the country, um, because of the stuff that you guys have pioneered through the years with getting raw food out there and just kind of getting people interested in trying things that were new and maybe a little bit foreign and teaching people that it tastes really good and have to sacrifice the taste for having amazing health.
1: (laughs) Wow, thanks. That's a really beautiful thing to say.
0: Um, I actually think I cooked for you when I was like 20 years old. Well, raw cooked for you. I made like a roll or something like that you had tried. (laughs) Yeah, you
1: did actually. That's great. I love, I actually remember meeting you back on Broadway and and your brother as well.
0: Yeah, and then... um, You know, we're going to keep this as a candid conversation, as they always are, but, um, you know, even though I've known you for a long time, I actually don't even know a ton of your back history or where you came from, how you got to where you are today, what inspired you to make the changes you've had in your life. So we'll trail it back a little bit, and um, how did you get into alternative living, or actually what I think is real living, not even alternative living, how did you get into raw food, nutrition, and... A holistic lifestyle were your family interested in things like that or did that come in later in life? How did it all transpire?
1: Wow, that's a great question um, You know, I actually grew up in the south in the deep south um, far away from veganism and yoga as you could possibly be um, in North Florida mm. and some point something in me just around 12 years old decided I never wanted to eat an animal again It was mm-hmm. I didn't know a single vegetarian I'd never met anybody no one had dropped that in my field that I know of obviously they did but it wasn't so conscious and um, I just got really clear on that and it became sort of a thing and I was just that vegetarian person in the crowd and <laughs> people knew that and it became part of my identity and it grew and as I learned about veganism and um, I remember getting into buddhism very early Mm. i must have come across i was doing a world religions class i guess in middle school and i said to my mom have you read this lotus sutra do you know about this Mm. and i remember my mom being like yeah that's what we live like is doesn't everybody do it like that (laughs) and i thought about it and i realized like my mom really truly was my original teacher she was like such a zen master in my life and she lived zen and that was just part of who we were. And so I really began to live into that reality of understanding that a lot of Eastern teachings were things that had just been inculcated into my life. And so as I felt drawn to them, I also felt more and more familiarity, more and more resonance with them. Um, and to the point where I eventually had a successful career as a television producer, um, working in cable networks and life in the fast lane at a very young age. and left it all to become a yoga teacher and um, went to India decided to learn from who I felt were, you know, the holders of the lineage there and studied multiple disciplines and really felt that I wanted to bring it into my life in a real way before I shared it with the world. And during that process, I ended up at that detox center you mentioned, and Mm. they brought me in as their yoga teacher and Quickly, they realized I knew about cleansing and raw food and all of a sudden I was telling people what to eat and when and how to ferment vegetables and how to break cleanses and start them and why and and that was great and um, I loved it and then I felt like I wanted to bring that healing back to to my home and I looked around and thought where where are people ready to hear this message and I'd actually never been to Los Angeles But I had met um, in Rishikesh in India. I had met a woman who had a house in L.A. And she had said, if you ever come to L.A., you can stay on my couch. And so I did. I called her up and said, hey, I'm ready for that couch. And I (laughs) stayed in Abbot Kenny just down the street for about two months to where I met my then partner, Matt Amston, who already was a great raw food chef. And I really credit him with helping me manifest my dream, which was really more about, community mm-hmm. and creating a space where we could all come together so for me food was really the medium it wasn't it wasn't the message the message was having a light heart and feeling good in our bodies and really opening up to our natural divinity in more of a yogic sense for me and the food seemed to be the way that we could all do that and start to access that because food is so basic
0: yeah and food is such a, a- I want to say primitive need, but it really is. It's such a basic need that we have, and it's become this thing in our culture where we don't even put any thought into what we're putting in our mouths and what we're drinking every day, and we go on to this autopilot of what's convenient and what's easy, Um, and then we kind of get stuck in this vicious cycle of, I don't know why I feel this way, I don't know why I feel depressed, I don't know why I feel hangry, you hear people say that all the time, I'm hangry, (laughs) and uh, hungry, angry, and um, you start seeing people with mood swings, and then, um, for instance, one of my good friends I was with last week, and he was, he eats very poor, and we always talk about, he's aware that he eats very poorly, and he's like, oh my god, I feel terrible, I have a headache, and he started taking tons of aspirin. And I'm like, "Uh, what did you eat today? He's like, well, I woke up, I had a power bar, a coffee, and then after that, I went out and I got some eggs and some bacon. But then I felt really tired and sluggish, so then I went and I got a Red Bull. And now I have this really bad headache, so I'm going take some Advil. But that's really America in general, of this cycle of no thought into what we're eating and just wondering why we're constantly feeling so up and down. Interesting when you're saying that when you're a kid, you just had this natural intuition, like, oh, I don't want to eat animals anymore. And I actually have started encountering that a lot with children in general, where they intuitively are feeling more about where their food is coming from and making a connection, uh, making that dialogue that what they're eating may be an animal. And as we get older, we just kind of get conditioned so it becomes a thoughtless process. There's no thought behind what we're eating. But you even see all these videos on Facebook where people are posting these little kids who are like, I don't want to eat this, I don't want to eat that. I think there's some interesting, sensitive intuition that's happening there with children and the way they look at the world with really fresh eyes and then something that we kind of lose or it gets lost in translation as we get older and we get stuck in this hamster wheel of life. And I think the food is such a great way to create a community, like you were saying, start with our basic primitive needs and then from there we elevate the consciousness to other things.
1: Fully, well, I would actually like, and I have always said that food is—it's actually the most intimate act that we have as bodies. It's actually more intimate than sexuality because when you're eating something, you're taking something from the outside world, and you're bringing it and you're putting it here on your arm or into your brain cells, into your—it's becoming part of you. Yeah. It's the only time we actually take something from outside and make it part of us. Yeah. And so you know, do we want to think about every single time we eat? Do we have that luxury? Is that realistic for all of us? No, but feeling into, does this feel good to me? Is this the right thing for me right now? Just taking one second to have that question so that we're not on this roller coaster of trying to mediate choices that we made unconsciously all day long. I think it's a really great and powerful act.
0: Absolutely. And, um, it's such a, a way that impacts us on levels that we don't even really know you know we always think about you know the obvious things that impact us you know we think about oh this impacts us this way this impacts us that way i really love this book that's out there that's called hidden messages of water and his experiments with just saying positive things to water and how it changes the molecular structure it. it forms these beautiful crystals in the water and that's something you drink something you ingest not only that but our bodies are made of mostly water you know and it's like you're saying the food actually affects us becomes part of our body you know on a cellular level and uh, it's really important it's imperative that we take a close look at what we're you know putting in us and making a part of our body
1: 100 percent. and you know when you talk about children and their decisions not to meet animals or or eat animals or their their feelings of consciousness around that i think i been grappling a lot lately with veganism and talking to people and really sharing about that and I think that what we've done is we are that sensitive too but I think we're taking something I call it cognitive dissonance which we use a lot in culture but in terms of meat and not eating animals so we created something called meat in our head, which separates it from animals so that we can use our head to eat something that makes sense to our mind. But we're cutting ourselves off and our, our heart is not engaged. And so there's a deep schism, you know, and uh, why we eat meat, when we eat meat, culturally, health, there's all kinds of, and that's a big and vast question. But in order to do it, I think we've had to shut down certain parts of our emotional bodies. And kids, we haven't taught them that piece yet about shutting down that part of their emotional body so they can go through, just like, I mean, in some ways, like we look at the world, and in every moment there are things happening that we absolutely can't get behind and codify, but we we're, we have to choose some sort of self-preservation methods of shutting out information that we cannot handle, you know, the wisdom to do what we can do, and I think a little bit of me is that, and so I think protecting children are preserving their, like, sense of, I know with my own children, when they say, oh, my friend eats bacon, and I'll say, oh, you mean pigs? Yeah. Yeah, those are pigs, and I just, I don't, you know, use dogma with them, but I keep drawing them back to their understanding of the world in a whole sense.
0: Yeah, so there's no disassociation. Right. Absolutely, and, you know, it's it's funny, I, I talk about this a lot in teacher trainings, um, how, the root word of ignorance is ignore and how you can sit at a table with a bunch of people and if somebody starts talking about where the meat came from everyone's like oh my god please stop talking about it you're making me lose my appetite I just want to ignore where this food has come from so in essence we have to put ourselves in ignorance in order to engage in activity which people nobody wants to do nobody wants to put themselves in ignorance over a specific activity you want to elevate your consciousness and so if we can elevate our consciousness, that's the best thing that we could do. And um, it's the most, uh, I want to say, spiritually preserving thing that you can do for yourself.
1: Agreed. I, I 100% agree with that. And I, I like to focus on elevating your consciousness rather than ignoring. Because it is, it is a certain shut, shutting down, and it's definitely like a buzzkill for people, and nobody really wants to have that buzzkill. And that's why you hear them say, well, I know what the videos show, and I don't really want to see those videos, you know, because I need to be able to continue with the, the choices that I'm making. And so when people bring in information, they do have to ignore it so that they can stay where they are. And, you know, I've always been, even with the restaurant, like I'm hugely... A believer in non-dogma like yeah. I have never told anyone what to eat I can honestly say that totally I, I answer questions that people have brought me you know and if they say look I'm not feeling good how can I change that I mean, here's some ways that you can feel better but I tr- think we're all like such rebels that we have to go on our path Mm -hmm. and you know when we get in the way of that path by really trying to tell someone you should be this or you should stop doing this like it just creates conflict
0: yeah everything has to be done with an open heart and free choice free will um so that way the choices are made without any resentment and without feeling the the pressure that so many people feel and they feel like they've made it on their own which is the best way to do it an educated decision um how did Matt come into play, and where, where did his influence of raw food um, and just making raw food in general into, one, the restaurant that you guys had and the cookbooks that came out, how did that kind of um, synergize between the two of you and became like this driving force that you both wanted to put out there?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. He is actually my birthday twin. Really? We're exactly the same age. I'm like eight hours older than he is. What? And I, we, I think, you know, there was such a cosmic connection between the two of us, and we are sort of like this power of manifestation together. And I've always been someone who's about community and about talking and sharing and and teaching in an essence. And I met him, and he was this just fantastic raw chef. It was like he, I, I, he and Giuliano, I would say, they channeled truly their recipes in order to bring us in our food revolution to the next level. We were able to take such a leap. I mean, raw food has been around in in, in L.A. for 100 years, to be honest. Yeah. But it's really always stayed in a certain place, let's say with the, the Save the Tuna Salad
0: or something yeah, like definitely that. Definitely not mainstream.
1: <laughs> definitely not. So their ability to channel in this more alchemical raw food, this umami, creating taste and creating texture, was something so wholly different. And I think where we could come together is in my ability to kind of bring people and to create a platform and like, a desire for that food and and put it in a a place that people could really understand and come together around it. And so, and he was able from his part, like to just give me the energy and the focus that I was really like missing in my life to, to bring that together. And so we have such great creative synergy and we were able to go on and write two books from that. And, we were able to create two amazing twin, twin children as well. And we're still absolutely the best of friends and mm. um, still co-creating. Like when we need creative advice and synergy, like we come back together because we really work well in that space.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I know you have a background in business. Do you think that played a specific role in the way you're able to get, you know, plant-based living and holistic living out there and get more people interested?
1: I definitely think so. I, part of my like, experiment with revolution was to really to see if I could do everything right. I had worked in the plant-based food industry from stores to restaurants and retail for a long time, and I always saw people cutting a little bit of corners here because mm-hmm. that's what the market and the economics of the situation demanded. And I was asking myself, what if I don't cut any corners? What if I do it 100% the way I want to do from every aspect, you know, in every way, let me see how I can uphold the highest integrity. And does that work with our current system that we're working within this structure here? Um, And so in a way, it was just a personal experiment. It wasn't necessarily always, you know, the name Euphoria Loves Revolution. Everyone said, that's a crazy name. (laughs) Um, And it really came out of the love that Matt and I had for each other. And I was the euphoria, you know, because it was all about the physical experience of the body. You know, for me, euphoria actually is, it's a feeling of pleasure that's in the body, yeah. So that makes it different than happiness. It's a physical sensation. And Matt was very much about leading the revolution and the charge. And so that our coming together was, you, that was it. Yeah. Um, and so it made a lot of sense to me. And I like things that don't necessarily fit in neat boxes for other people. Mm. And so it was really a play with that. It wasn't always like my, my best, you know, decisions. But probably if I had, was making my best decision, business-wise, it would not have been opening a raw vegan restaurant. <laughs> but... It was, it was a labor of love.
0: Yeah, what a wild ride, right? It was.
1: <laughs> with the day we opened, I had written in paint on the, the window. This is Matt and I. It's our love letter to the world. This yeah. is what our love has brought, and we're, we're sharing it with you. And it was really that was the heart of it you know, more than business.
0: I would go into that restaurant and I'd be like, oh man, I just need some major hydration. And I would get like a huge green juice and a coconut water and walk out feeling completely new. Right. (laughs) It was just that spot where you go, oh, just hydrate me.
1: Superfood soup was like, oh, Oh, that was the best. (laughs) Superfood
0: soup was the superfood soup.
1: It really was. And I'm hoping that create space for for more because the community is expanding so quickly from where we started there you know the people that were there have now, they're all doing amazing things. And that was, I wanted to feed the healers and the leaders and the writers and the dreamers and the yoga teachers so that they could go out there and manifest this community that we were building in LA. And to me, it feels that it's manifest now. We have it here. We have an infrastructure for learning and practicing and working together.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. How do you um, help individuals who are eating either a standard American diet or just a very typical diet, make smooth transitions into adding healthier habits? Like what are the basic things? If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, Janabai, I live on coffee every morning, coffee and creamer and eggs. How do I change my habits? What, what's some very basic thing I could um, add to my life? Or what would you do to start changing your life?
1: Right. Well, I always go for the low-hanging fruit. You know, yeah. if the coffee is the most wonderful thing that's keeping this person going, keep the coffee. Yeah. There's no one food in anyone's diet that's going to be the one, the one thing that gets them, and there's no one super pill, right? So if that's special, it's about finding the things that people eat 85% of the time that aren't special. Mm. The things that are just fuel for them yeah. that they don't have emotional attachments to, and replacing those with better other fuel. So it's not trying to change the dinner out with their parents or their friends or their weekend fun thing. It's about like, oh, so you have a smoothie for breakfast with yogurt and bananas. Oh, well, let's replace that with almond milk and half a banana. Mm. You know, it's about reducing... Sugar. It's about reducing the dairy in the areas that don't really make a big difference to them because there's so many analogs, right? Yeah. like we have so many choices now in non-dairy milk these days yeah. and in protein powders and options for those things that are just They're just stuff that we have every day So I would say I, I like to think of it as the two-thirds plan look have a raw vegan breakfast. It's a smoothie That's great. Have a raw vegan lunch. It's a salad. That's great. Dinner. Have whatever you want hmm. Have the things that make you happy You know and you already are like you just became 65% raw vegan like without even trying If you added in some like raw kale chips or something as a snack You're like tipping the scales and it was easy and you didn't have to give up anything you loved and Then what happens is people start to feel so good by the middle of the day that they're like, wow, I think I'm just going to have another salad, I, you know? <laughs> like, um, and they stay with it, and they start to feel good when they wake up in the morning. And so then the results convince them. It's kind of like I'm sure you find with yoga. I used to say, it doesn't matter why you come to yoga class. could be to look at better, to look skinnier, to like, you know, start a New Year's resolution. Yoga will work. Yeah. Just start. And the practice, the practice will change you in the way that the practice is meant to. Just do the practice. And that's how I see food. It's like, just keep eating the good stuff and your cells will know. And before long, you're like, I think I'm craving kale.
0: Yeah. I crave kale, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) so much of what you said is so awesome. It's such a great way to put it, to take out the stuff that's not as emotionally um, hardwired into you, you know, and take those things out and alter it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's exactly like you said, you start feeling a certain way and the change that you feel, where you're, oh, you feel alive and vibrant, it's hard to go back to like throwing dirt on a fire where you feel tired and lethargic and headachy and feeling yucky all the time. And it takes a toll, and then you just start realizing, you start seeing more and more like, hey, this is the way to go. I have to eat like this, and then I'll always feel like this. Exactly. There's this awesome uh, story that I heard from this uh, street philosopher. Um, One of the world's greatest violinists, most world-round violinists, went out into a city street in New York. He brought with him one of the most priceless violins, and he dressed in street clothes. And he just started playing the most incredible music the world has ever heard. And over the course of a couple of hours, over a thousand people passed him, didn't even stop to look at him. And then over the course of the whole day, he made 30 bucks. The craziest thing is is one week before he sold at a concert hall in New York and everyone paid an average of a hundred dollars a seat and the point of the story is unless something is presented to us we usually don't even see it even if it's right in our face so you could go into a store and kale organic kale is on the shelf you don't even see it and it's that magic moment when someone presents it to you and then you can start to see it just like no one could even recognize this amazing composer you sit in plain sight But when people presented, oh, this is a great composer, they all bought a ticket, right? So sometimes we need to just present it to us, like listen to a podcast and hear Janabai say, take out 80% of the things you're not emotionally attached to. That could be a light bulb, and all of a sudden you can see. And like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And then, oh, I feel amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, because we're experiential learners, most of us. And so when we have an experience of something, then we have a context for it. So like, I might actually not know what the most amazing world's most amazing violin being played by the most amazing violin. It sounds like, but then you give me a context and you're like, let's go to this concert and all of a sudden, like I thought I knew a lot, but like I have another frame of reference and I can actually recognize it mm. now. And probably none of those thousand people have actually ever been to that concert and it just goes to like, oh, there's so much happening around us. yeah our senses are only picking up a very, very small part of it. But when you have an experience with food like, you go to Revolution and you're with your best friend and you have kale chips, my God, you made a memory, you made a feeling, you yeah. felt good and you really enjoyed the food as opposed to someone who was like, yeah, eat those. And you're like, eh, what is this? But all of a sudden you have a context for appreciating it and knowing what it's doing for you and then it's infinitely more valuable.
0: Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Um, another question is raising children with plant food. I know I think the last time I saw you actually was like five years ago and you were pregnant. You looked incredible. And people, one, are concerned not only how do you raise children on a plant-based diet, but how do you you even go through a pregnancy eating a plant-based diet? It would blow people's minds. And to see that how healthy your children are and how beautiful they are is shocking. I mean, my own son, he's raised on a plant-based diet and people are always shocked. Like, oh, my God, he's not emaciated. He's not, like, in the hospital. And why is he one of the healthiest kids? so, one, this is like a two-fold question, what were some of the things you did personally to stay healthy during your pregnancy? And then also, two, what are some of the tricks that you used to keep your children on the path to eating healthy themselves? Because it's really hard when they're, especially when they're little and everyone else is eating, you know, gummy bears and Cheerios for breakfast.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is, it is hard, and we want to be in the world, right? Yeah. Um, you know, during my pregnancy, that's I, I'm a huge fan of superfoods. Mm. I really, really am, and I'm a big fan of supplements. To be honest, because yeah. I think the best supplements really are just superfoods. You know, they're highly concentrated foods for I, us. I love it too. And I know a lot of people don't like powders and capsules and this and that, but I actually do because I think that we're living super lives right now. You know, like if I was just laying on a beach most of the day and my job was to go and you know weave something and tell stories by the campfire at night I'd, I'd be happy with some bananas probably and some coconuts yeah but um i'm not i want to be like the best in relationship i want to be the best entrepreneur i want to be the best mom i want to be the best community member i want to like chain make all these environmental changes in my life and the world and so it's really like we're asking so much of ourselves more probably than on average, any time in history, have people been asked to function on so many different mm. levels simultaneously, um, with so many relationships, because we're connected now to su- such a vast number of people who we mean things to now. So I do think that we have to take our diets up another level, than, and superfoods provide that, and I think pregnancy is another one of those times. For sure, the body is, I mean, it's actually, it's like, it's a miracle. Yeah. It. Like, it's truly a miracle that women can grow an additional organ and from that organ grow a child, or in my case, grow two simultaneously <laughs> and, and feed them and give them all the requisite and important things to actually build a thinking and functioning, feeling human being. It's, it's incredible. And so I could not get enough nourishment for that like i just pushed the envelope in terms of i was a huge fan of e3 live i've always mm. been and it's a blue green algae from klamath lake oregon it's really lovely high mm. protein really assimilable, full of minerals that was a daily practice for me when i was pregnant every day um i really got turned on to the benefits of reishi mushrooms mm. during pregnancy from david wolf he has a great talk called "Reishi about Reishi babies," and that was a really big thing for me in terms of their brain development. And getting every day, I had Reishi mycelium powder, and so I have always been that person who makes this like everything but the kitchen sink smoothie, and that just increased like triple fold during my pregnancy—one for me and two for each of the children. <laughs> um, I love I love bee pollen. I'm a big fan of the benefits of bee pollen as well. Um, and just generally pea protein is really assumable. I love it I do really well with that green foods I'm a huge believer in chlorella as well I if like you could give me nothing but chlorella and chocolate I, those are my <laughs> desert island foods like I could live with those two foods completely because I think chlorella really is one of the most powerful foods that we have and I had that constantly every day i had tons and tons of healthy fats from the vegan dha oils to the coconut oils to i love i I love sesame oil as well as a lot of great chinese herbs to support where i was at Mm. to support my grounding Um, and i i can't recommend anything higher for sure a plant-based diet was really powerful for me and with twins, I was required to get 7,000 calories a day. Yeah, it's <laughs> <which> a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of avocados. But, um, I you have to. You've
0: got to load up. Yeah, I Especially definitely eating managed. Especially
1: for three. For eating for three is, is quite the, the sort of ultimate challenge. Um, and interestingly, with pregnancy, a lot of the foods that normally would feel really tasty weren't. Mm. I ate a lot of kippies. Yeah. I was really into the the raw vegan sorbet. That was yeah. a huge thing, and it's funny because I never normally like those things. So,
0: so your body was um, craving. My it. body
1: was really just. I would dream about Kippy's sorbet. Yeah. Um. I would wake up. You and needed
0: just, the high fat and all that stuff. Yeah. In it.
1: it was. It just. It something <laughs> about like all those frozen raspberries and those things were, the <laughs> antioxidants. I felt like were really calling me, which is interesting because I don't almost ever eat fruit. Like I'm not a big fruit or sweet mm. eater. But when during pregnancy, my desire for like colourful food was just really high. Sweet potatoes were an everyday thing slathered in coconut oil. It was like if you could give me coconut oil with almond butter on it <laughs> and then put it on something so I could transfer it. Like that was how I wanted make to make me eat. hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and it was um it was really, really great. And I was blessed to go through pregnancy with a lot of wonderful women in this community, too. And so we had great prenatal kundalini mm. with Sukdev as well. And it was just a great time. So in terms of the kids, and this is really a subject that interests me, um, and I am working actually in a book about kids' food, because my, my poor children have been in what I think of as food boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into a parent the other day who was very particular about discipline. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm very particular about discipline. And I said, I get it. That's how I am about food. <laughs> <laughs> not, not so much on the discipline, but the food thing. I'm just like that. Um, and it's really been, I've seen this as a, a, a chance to, because, right, we're building humans. I'm not just building my children, I'm building people who are learning to be human. Yeah. And so for living with me is like, it's just literally about an awakening experience every day, how we can use our food and our life in every given moment as a lesson. And so the food thing, there just wasn't any option with me to mm-hmm. do anything different, it really has been. Because I watched through the restaurant, people coming in with seven and eight year olds and saying, they won't eat anything healthy, what do I do? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Um, Move to a cabin and don't eat anything but healthy food (laughs) Um, and they'll start and uh, So what I got from that is you really have to start at the beginning and when you can Mm. and I um, For the first four years of my children's life They didn't even know green juice came with apple in it Mm. You know because I thought someday I'll throw an apple in it when they're bored with green juice (laughs) You know and um, I think it's about modeling as well, so when I wanted them to eat salad, I just would make a giant salad for myself, mm. and I'd tell them their dinner was next. And then I'd sit down and I eat my giant salad, and they're sitting there looking at that giant salad, going, "Well, that's pretty good. I think I'm <laughs> gonna have that." Um, and by the time I'd say, "Oh, well, I don't mind if you eat my whole salad. Go ahead," and so it's a little bit of a trick, but it's also yeah. modeling and showing them, like, because they really want to do what we do. So it's yeah. a great chance to look into our own habits around food, our own choices around where we're being fully in integrity, because they're picking up on it all. And so they really want to be more like us. If they're if, if you're in a really good flow with your kid, they want to be more like you than anybody else in the world. Totally. So we made a game out of everything was green for the first three years. Literally, there was nothing that didn't come out of our house that had spirulina stuffed in it. They probably, someday in life, they'll probably never want to eat spirulina again. And that's what people would say to me, well, you know, they're going to rebel against this. And I was like, yes. Of course, and that'll be part of their path. But for, like, the seven to ten years that they have to eat exclusively what I tell them, that's what they're going to do. And I've been allowing, and we share and try things, and we focus really on eating diversity and enjoying. You know, my five-year-old, he eats a jar of capers. He thinks he—one of them took a jar of capers to school for lunch the other day, (laughs) and the other one took a jar of salsa and a spoon for his lunch, you know? And— And they said, Mom, somebody tried my salsa. And I was like, yeah, man, that's really cool. So partly giving them the confidence to be the ones who are just the healthy eaters, yeah, you know, and we talk about like, you know, that food over there, it's not going to work for your body, you know, and you could try it if you want, but it's not going to work that well. Um, And, you know, she has to eat what's good for her body. And we try, I don't want them to be in judgment. We're definitely all in different places. And other kids have pieces of stuff that I haven't been able to give them. But, you know, we go to birthday parties. And from the very beginning when they were little, I'd just be like, when the cake was coming out, I'm like, hey, guys, let's go over here and eat a little bit of dried mango. Right? And so now they're at the point now that they're aware. And they're like, mom, birthday cake's coming out. People are singing, where's our treat? And I bust out some dried mango or some dried papaya or pineapple and maybe even if i'm really like being like naughty i'll get them a bag of popcorn (laughs) healthy popcorn with like spirulina on it and they're like people are like son you want some cake you don't have any cake and they're like no i got my popcorn (laughs) you know so it's about like finding because we all want to have luxuries and we all want to have treats right and that's that's an emotional part of our culture that it's a little hard to shift right? This, this deserving of treating, Mm. you know, and indulging. It's not something that I'm not going to teach out of them. It's not going to go away. So it's about really finding a way to meet that in a healthy space. That's non-emotional. So treats aren't associated with emotions because it's fairly easy to be like, Hey, I just did really great at school. Let's celebrate with something sweet. You know, like that's part of our culture. Like, Oh, it's Valentine's day. Let's go get a sweet treat or, You know, and so, like, separating emotion from food is a big one for me. So that, like, connection with mom or dad or special events doesn't bring a food or a food habit with Mm. it. Um, And it's about, like... We, my kids love spicy food. Hmm. So I was really into developing palate because, right, kids all over the world eat spicy food, right? Yeah. It's
0: anti-parasitic, and all that it's kind of stuff. It's yeah.
1: amazing, and they don't even think twice about it. So we introduced spice at a very early age, like super young, in small doses. And we would make jokes about it, and I'd eat something spicy, and then I'd go, <sighs> And I'd say, like, oh, I'm a dragon. Look, I'm breathing fire. And they're like, I want to breathe fire, Mom. That's so cool. <laughs> and so we'll sit around, like, eating chili peppers now, you know, like like in Thailand, like, breathing <laughs> fire at each other. And there's nothing in our house that doesn't get hot sauce anymore. And salsa is hot all the time at our house. And they love that and they love introducing they see the fun and the joy in food of trying new stuff and introducing other people you know like we go to a sushi restaurant and they're begging the waitress for extra pickled ginger just so they can sit and eat pickled ginger and so I think it's about giving them lots of flavors and lots of palate for appreciating it before because toddlers really naturally they start to they want to feel safe they mm-hmm. want everything to be the same and us as parents. We want everything to be convenient and quick normally because we're just trying to make it through and so those two desires meet up with convenience and quickness and keeping everything the same because well if sweet potatoes were good last night. I'll like sweet potatoes again tomorrow and their world slowly closes down mm-hmm. and we we in the urge of like convenience and simplicity allow it to close down until all of a sudden people like my kids only eating chicken tenders and french fries you know and that didn't happen overnight so it requires sort of a constant vigilance from parents in order to keep opening that door never serving food the same way twice continuing to oh they really like kale tonight it's rainbow chard you know and also bringing them into the kitchen and letting them participate you know like at three i had them stripping the kale having fun with it you know, when they were two, they were using the kale stems to teeth on. It's a great teething thing because no, no kid can, like, really chew those kale yeah. stems. But they're getting the flavor of it, you know, mm-hmm. and I would allow them to just play in chlorella tablets. People were like, oh, yeah, give them Cheerios for their finger food to practice. And I was like, no, we're chlorella tablets, you know. And so really letting them enjoy and get messy in the food and play and help and be in the kitchen is, I think, a big part of what we do, too.
0: Yeah, being in the kitchen is essential, I feel. My eight-year-old son, uh, since he was about two or three, we used to let him cook with us all the time. And he used to say, I'm a chef, I'm a chef. And then we had this idea, we got a Polaroid camera, and we would let him make whatever he wanted. We'd assist him, of course. And uh, he'd make smoothies, he'd make salads, he'd make all these food, and afterwards he'd stand there hold the tray of whatever he made and we'd take a Polaroid and we started making a book so he has like several cookbooks now and then we'd write out everything that went into it so now he's like I'm a chef but he's actually really confident in the kitchen now like he can make you an amazing smoothie if you want and he's eight he can whip up whatever you want <laughs> like, I'm a chef can I I'm a chef um, so, so beautiful yeah I, I think when you get them engaged one they have these fond memories of being in the kitchen when so many people have no clue of what to do in the kitchen all they know is the microwave they don't know how to touch the stove, don't know how to chop anything. Um, and I think if you can help demystify all the things that are in the kitchen and make these positive experiences at the beginning, they'll take those tools with them when they're adults and be like, oh yeah, you want this? I can whip this up for you. Try this. And um, I always tell my wife, I's going to make a... His wife very happy one day because he's gonna whip up whatever she wants. <laughs> He'll be in the kitchen. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it. The kitchen is like a. It's really. You know, they call that adulting. Learning, learning these techniques of adulthood, and I know I didn't learn to cook till I got to college. And somebody was like, "Let's make food," and I was like, "Make it, really?" <laughs> um, but it's so. It's so essential again because food is so essential, and so being able to create, make it and produce it and work with it is, is, it's a confidence builder. Um, And I mean, one of the best things I think to get involved with kids in early is juicing Mm. actually, because it's so fun they can shove vegetables in they can try different combinations and it's so hands on and as long as you keep their hands up at the top <laughs> right, it's it's such a pleasure for them to like quickly be able to see that they can create something after and all the colors it just keeps them on the juice like it's really from the very early on they're like oh it needs more ginger or this and that and what would happen if we threw blueberries in it mom and you know like it's a great way for kids to explore it's just so fun
0: yeah, children are just so in the mode of seeing what the world is about. They're like again, they have those fresh eyes. Like, what does this do? What does that do? How's this work? What's this? Why did you do that? So they're just learning and soaking information all day long and the more positive information we can give them at an early age, the more of a positive adult they'll be throughout life. And, you know, my son when he was really little, we'd go on a walk and the destination was go to a health food store that had a juice bar and I would order my green juice. And he would walk up to the counter, and he goes, i have a green drink with no ginger. Because <laughs> you know, like he was too spicy for him. And everyone looked down like, how old is he? He's like in a diaper. <laughs> He's two. And he'd be sucking down the juice, and he loved it. Green juice with no ginger. And um, the juicing, like, I totally get what you're saying. It was such a big thing. I mean, just the habit of him having that at an early age, now he actually wants it. My son had a cold last week, and he went up to me and goes, I think I need some nutrients. I need a green juice. Like he oh. knew it, right? He knew it. He wanted it. So we went to the, went to the store. He got a green juice. And afterwards, like, oh, I feel so much better. I feel amazing. That's amazing.
1: amazing.
0: <laughs> or I used to tell him, we get vitamin D from the sun. So when he was really little, he, I would be out sitting out on a porch. And all of a sudden, he'd come walking out like one and a half years old, butt naked. I'm like, what are you doing? Where's all your clothes? He's like, vitamin D from son <laughs> and he would lay out totally naked his little baby body getting vitamin d and he got it you know and i think the more information you give children they ex- accept information so much easier than adults and they just embed it in themselves and they remember it and uh you know He's super healthy. People always can't believe how healthy he is. He'll go to a doctor and get a physical. He hasn't had a physical in years, but when he did, they'll be like, oh my God, he's so healthy. He's amazing. He's right on track with his weight, his height, his heartbeat. Everything is amazing. And, you know, it's I think it's a testament to opening our own minds that, you know, the standard uh, scale of how we should raise our children, what they should eat, shouldn't be a standard, that there's so many other ways to do it, and those other ways, can very, very um, increase your own health and also potentially increase your child's health at an astronomical, you know, level and let those children just flourish. I mean, he feels amazing. And uh, we have like ice cream makers, but the, they're like called Yo Nanas. They're like the, almost like the, what are those old big juicers called again that, you could push a frozen banana through and make oh, the champions the champions yeah. it's like that so my son when he would want like ice cream or whatever i would just freeze a bunch of organic fruit and we would just make frozen sorbet out of it and oh. he thought it was it is the most amazing thing you will ever oh, have yeah. a
1: frozen banana like just <laughs> pushed through one of those things is amazing yeah
0: i let him put almond butter in it and oh. frozen banana and then put some chia seeds all over it. and he's like
1: Woo <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, these these kids are really like they're they're coming in at a great time to yeah. get all this and they're so ready and they're so right and they, they get it. I mean I would tell my kids similarly like in the morning we first drink a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Then we go put our feet on the earth because we have to charge yeah. the earth. And then we open our mouth <laughs> to the sun and let the sun like activate our, our bodies from the inside and they'll walk out and I'm like what are you doing charging I'm charging mom <laughs> like fantastic you know and last night we actually sat and listened to the night we say listening to the night sounds we get like an oral bath where mm. we just get really quiet and we sit out on our porch because we live up in the country and we said a prayer for the water protectors, which went into a prayer for all of, essentially, of humankind. Because if I pray long enough, I've prayed for just about everybody. And, <laughs> um, and they'll tell me, Mom, you forgot to pray for the water protectors last night if I forget, you know? And yeah. so it's, they're coming in at a really beautiful time, and they definitely know what they're doing. And we have the information to share, and it's really special
0: to be able to do that. Empower the little ones so they become big ones that can empower the rest of the world, right? Exactly. Um, do you have any final thoughts or final words that you'd like to share?
1: Mm. <laughs> um, gosh, there's so many thoughts, but um, I guess, you know, I'm thinking like lately I've been thinking about what inspires me the most, and I've really been on this this concept right now of living soul-centrically instead of egocentrically, and it's kind of sounds cool, but really what I've been thinking about is like, If I focus just on becoming a really great old person Mm. Like what does my life look like? What's my life journey if I'm shooting if my goal Is to become like a really great old person who's really at peace and living in grace? and so Mm. how does that change the arc of my life and It's really actually had very profound results for me because I've always been incredibly present I would say if I have anything that's mine that I sort of didn't pick up from a book or learn from this lecture that it's actually presence is something that I really have and so I've been able to kind of notice how in my life I've been able to marry that to just living like what does it look like if I live in grace and I'm focused 100% on becoming clearer and gentler and more at peace with my life as long as it lasts and so that to my final point like it's you know it's like the Tibetan book of living and dying and I'm literally dropping into the bardo and so if that's my goal how do I proceed on a daily basis and um, it's actually I'm really loving it and it's been a really great journey to and becoming a (laughs) becoming a more graceful old person (laughs) slowly thanks to the power of raw vegan food (laughs) But it's been a really great journey, and I'm really glad I could be here and share it with you and be in this community of such great like-minded souls to be on my journey. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's been awesome to have you. I like that living a life so that you will be at peace. That's really beautiful. On that note, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you, Janabai.
1: Thank you, Tamal. Until
0: next time, guys. Namaste.
1: Namaste.